0: Love Talk Radio. Well, greetings. My name is David Fournier, the Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and thank you so much for joining me, either live or archived, to our show, Zohar and 15. And I want to say thank you to so many people that have listened to this show and sent emails and comments and questions. By the way, if you ever need to get a hold of me, you can do it at Dave at com. That's Dave at com, or visit the Facebook page for restoring grace. Today we're going to be talking about praising God and understanding the appointed times. And I want to read, as we start, Psalms 136. I think most of you are very familiar with the first nine verses of Psalms 136, but then it takes an interesting turn. So here we go. Read the New International Version. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. To govern the the sun, to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars, to govern the night, his love endures forever. Now listen to where it starts here. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, who brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm? To him that divided the sea and a red sea asunder and brought Israel, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. By him who led the people through the desert, who struck down great kings, who killed mighty kings, uh, Shiloh the king of the Amorites, Og king of Bashan, and gave their land as inheritance to as an inheritance to his servant Israel, the one who remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies, who gives us food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Now, when we think of that, it's like it's when we praise God, the question we have is, well, why are we praising him for things he already knows? What, what kind of a God needs praise? What is the point of this appointed times and of worship? And we hope to answer those questions here. Reading from the Zohar, Volume 9, Portion Bo, Chapter 11, we're going to read verses 180 through 184. In verse 180, At that time, the Holy One, blessed be he, gathers his whole gathering and says to them, Go and listen to the account of my excellency that my children are relating. Rejoice in my redemption. At that time, they all gather and come and join with Israel to hear the story of praise. They rejoice with the joy of deliverance from their master and come to thank and praise the Holy One, blessed be he, for all these miracles and mighty deeds. And thank him for the holy nation that he has on earth that rejoices in the joy of deliverance of their master. Well, first, it's interesting to note that when we gather to praise, when we gather as a spiritual community, as we gather as a church, as a congregation, as a synagogue, God gathers the entire uh, routine of heaven. He gathers the, the, the gathering of heaven and says, go listen to what they're doing. Go listen to what they're saying about me. Go listen to my children. And I want you to say that when you – I want you to remember that when you see in scriptures the phrase at that time, there's a significance to it. That is marking an event. It's kind of like making a Facebook event or sending out invitations to a wedding or uh, doing something at a certain time at that time. And there's an expectation and an anticipation that arrives at that time. I cannot overemphasize the importance of creating appointed times. Meeting with God and meeting with his people. And I know this is very difficult. Now, many Christians will say to me, I'm a Christian as well. Uh, just a poor example of one, I think. But many Christians will say, that is so legalistic. That is so Old Testament. That is so Mo- Moses' law. Uh, we, we can't, we, can't we worship anywhere? Can't we just worship on Saturday afternoon? Well, it's very true. You can stop and praise God or worship God at any point you like. You can do it in your car on the way to work. You can do whatever you want. but I have two questions for you how does it How does your version or your thought of an unlegalistic faith prohibit appointed time meetings? I mean most of you, I think probably have a certain time that your church starts. I know some churches are really fanatical about starting on time and Uh, Some of them start a little bit late, and we talk about that quite often. But let me ask you this. How is it that it matters whether it's legal or not legal or uh, unlegalistic that it matters that we have an appointed time? And secondly, let me ask you this question. The second question is this. Do you actually meet in your homes? Do you actually sit down with your family and and have all your kids and your wife and, and everybody together and actually have those times? Do you actually do it at work? Do you actually do it walking down the street that you're worshiping God? What I find for most people in their lives, they don't have a lifestyle of worship. Worship, by the way, is a lifestyle. It's not a a service. It's what we do seven days a week. And it's culminated by specific appointed times where we bring our practice of worship and what we've seen during the work, work week into a meeting with all of us together. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament documents? and some have a song and a thanksgiving and a psalm to read everybody came excited and enthused and participating not this oh i'm so glad i came to church today i needed to get my batteries charged well if you're running on batteries you're not plugged into the source there's a problem somewhere but what i want you to notice is what are they rejoicing in they're rejoicing in the joy of deliverance of their master i think one of our biggest aspects that we've lost in our worship, can you imagine a worship song, by the way, that talks about the killing of firstborn children and the sweeping of an army away in a sea? Can you imagine a worship song that does that? I think there is a valid point in remembering where we were and where God has brought us. I want to say that again. I think there's a valid point in wor- in worshiping and praising God talking about where we have been and what God has accomplished in our lives. And as we'll find out after this quick break, it's not to remind God that those things happen, but to remind us. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support... Encourage and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at Dave at Restoring dot com. Again, that's Dave at Restoring dot com, or you can call seven one nine two three three six two six five. for your next upcoming event. Let's go on to read verse number one eighty one now. Then I'm talking about this appointed time that the children have gathered together. They're all in one place. They're worshiping. They're remembering God. God has sent all the hosts of heaven to the forefront. I don't know, heaven's windows, heaven's door. Use your imagination to watch this go on. Then his strength, now, and Israel is now worshiping. Then his strength and power are increased above by their recounting. The children of Israel give power to their master, like a king whose strength and power are increased when his strength is praised and when he is acknowledged. All fear him, and his glory rises above all of them. Therefore, it is incumbent to praise and relate this story, as we have learned. Similarly, it is the duty of every person to relate before the Holy One, blessed be he, and publicize the miracle among all these miracles that he did. So first we see, this is really interesting one thing that in Judaism is that teaches it talks about as it is below it is above, and that as we that down here on Earth, really think about this, down here on Earth, we can stir events in heaven, we can uh, uh, gain. The attention of the master of the universe. We can praise him. And it says here that his strength and power are increased above. And you say, wait a minute. God is as powerful as he's ever going to get. He's already master of the universe. Understand. But remember, as it is above, it is below. So if we're strengthening him above, what is happening below? He's being strengthened below. We forget often... That the heavenly realm is a spiritual battlefield. You know the accuser, Asatan, the, apo- the opponent, your adversary, is there accusing you. As we read in the story of Job, for example, when he goes and he begins accusing the brethren. And what we do when we gather corporately and we have those appointed events and we gather together, we strengthen that understanding of the power of God. We strengthen it, not just above, but also here below. We supply I believe what real praise and real worship is all about is supplying the, the, the fighting materials that go on in the heavenly realms. Now, notice that it was the duty of us corporately to gather, but also the duty of us individually. The duty of every person is to relate and publicize the miracles, our story, and our connection. I want to ask you a question. I want you to really think about this now. How different? How different would the face of Christianity be? How different would our reputation in the community be if that was our most known message? If everywhere they went, everywhere we went, people said, you know, all those Christians talk about is the goodness of their God. All they talk about is the miracles God has performed. All they talk about is their history with God. All they talk about is the spiritual transformation they've gone. They don't judge anybody. They don't kick anybody. They're not carrying banners on street corners. All they do constantly, they must really believe this. They must really believe it. Verse number 182. One may ask, why is it obligatory to relate the miracles? Does not the Holy One, blessed be He, know everything? Everything that was and everything that will be in the future? And wherefore this publicity before Him of what He did, if He knows? The rabbis respond, but surely one has to make the miracle known and relate before Him all that He did. Because these works ascend, and all the company above gather to see them, and give thanks before the Holy One, blessed be he, and his glory rises over them above and below. Now this is a really interesting comment. Why relate the miracles? Doesn't God know them? There's tremendous power in our words. The book of Proverbs tells us life and death is in the power of the tongue. We build and destroy here on earth with our words. And it's like that in the kingdom above. Now, we know that God gets it. This isn't the question. But the real question is, do we get it? I want you to notice the transition here. That... As Think of this connection. This is powerful. As we are here on this earth, on, in the Malkut, in the kingdom of the world, and we are gathered together at those appointed times, as we are, are set aside a time to simply connect with God. Our connection horizontally with each other as we're singing and recount, recounting these miracles and talking about what happens in our life, our horizontal connection reaches vertical. The host of heaven sees this and hears this, and they begin to worship God for what he's accomplished here in our lives and on this world. This is mind-blowingly powerful. What if our church services stopped being theatrical productions with big screens and surround sounds and hidden microphones and amusing announcements? What if they really became what they were supposed to be? Instead of one-man band telling us all that we need to know, what if they were the congregation sharing the miracles of the week, sharing? The reason I think this doesn't happen, by the way, is we have no miracles to report. We have no real connections. We have no real praise. That's why we said, let the pastor go tell us what we need to praise. The main drive in this worship, in these appointed times, is is to make the miracles of God known, to make God known. Because we have no miracles, there's no praises to report. I believe we choose outside of sessions. I guarantee you that there'll be pulpits all over the country. God bless them. I believe they have the right, me personally, I think they have the right to free speech even though they're ministers, and God bless them for that. But churches all over the country, they're going to be talking about what they don't like about Mr. President, what they don't like about homosexuals, what they don't like about same-sex marriage, what they don't like about, that's what the conversations will be. Instead of a group of 50, 100, or 300 people standing up and relating the miracles of God and what they've accomplished in their lives, other people's lives. Other people's lives and how they live those lives have become more interesting than our life and our connection with God. Verse number 183. It is the same with he who relates and enumerates of his sins, of everything he does. Necessary, it is because the accuser is constantly before the Holy One, blessed be he, in order to recount and seek retribution for the sins of people and demand judgment against them. However, when the person enumerates each and every one of his sins beforehand, he does not leave any pretext for the accuser to exploit, and the accuser does not cannot demand any judgment against him, for he already demands judgment first, and afterwards enumerates and accuses. Therefore, the person should take his own initiative before the accuser. And part of appointed times, part of these gatherings, is praise and repentance. I want you to really think about that for a minute. It's praise and repentance. You have an accuser. We talked about that. Who's using your sins and your shortcomings as fuel to provoke God's judgment against you? The path to forgiveness is repentance. Not just falling back on what Jesus accomplished and what he's done, but taking the initiative and confessing those sins and basically defanging, taking the hammer out of the hand of, of, of Asetan and saying, God already knows. God already knows this. God says back to him, so-and-so came before me and already confessed. He's already told me these things. Our appointed times, our meeting times with God are important, and we need to reconnect with the depth and importance of David Fournier, the instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Zohar in 15.